Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode in my podcast series, Did It Anyway. Today is a really interesting podcast that I've got planned. I have the most beautiful woman in the world to interview, which is pretty exciting for me. That's right, I'm interviewing my beautiful wife, Davina Grant. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's a pretty easy get, Baron, that you've just gone and grabbed your wife to interview her. But interestingly enough, I've wanted to interview Davina ever since I started this podcast, because I started this podcast based upon an experience that we had over the past few years on a number of experiences, really, that we had. And Davina is a huge part of that. In fact, she would be the star of the show in regards to that story. And I go around and I tell that story now. Uh, after I wrote a book about it, and I thought it would only be fitting to have her tell her part of the story. Interestingly enough, as we were preparing for this podcast that I sort of dragged Davina to just a little bit, uh, I started to write down some of the key moments that we had uh, throughout that journey a few years ago. And as I did that, I thought, oh, Davina will want to talk about this, and she'll want to talk about that. And as I went through and wrote all these things down, I stopped and I thought for a second and I went, no, that's not right. This is my story that I'm writing down. That's not hers. So then I I went out to the other room and I said, Dee, tell me some of the key moments. And so she told me eight or ten different moments from those experiences that we had, which were completely and utterly different to mine. And I think that's pretty cool. I think it's cool that we are able to live together and love each other, but at the same time, view certain situations very differently. So it was a big lesson for me the other day, that even though we're married, we see different things in the experiences that we have together, even though I might think that we would see that experience the exact same way. So we're going to hear Davina's perspective today, and I'm really excited for her to be able to share her story and what drives her to keep doing amazing things. Now, before we start, I have to frame it up that I will be very biased today. I do love this woman, and so uh, I'm a big fan, and I'm going to try and be as objective as I can. (laughs) Uh, But I'm I'm just excited for her to share her her story. So, hello, Davina, and welcome. Hi, thank you. (laughs) Now, we're going to rewind time just a little bit, because we're going to jump straight into the heavy stuff, if that's okay. All right. All right, so we're going to rewind time back to... The 26th of September, 2014, which was, I guess, the start, if you like, of uh, a real challenge in your life um, where you got quite sick. And the, an event happened on that day, which we'll talk through in just a moment. But uh, I'm just, ex- yeah, we'll just we'll just get started and let you tell your story. So September 26, 2014, tell us what happened. All right. So a little bit of background about what we were doing. We'd had five kids by that stage. We had a baby that was um, not yet a year old and it was school holidays and I love the school holiday time. I love the flexibility of it. Although running a business as we did, we couldn't, you couldn't especially take, take the time off that was, that was desired, especially um, it was a, we ran a a gym, a fitness center that was fairly near our home, which was great. And you had gone out that morning to run a class and had come back and I, I, got up and had that easy, flexible morning that you do. The kids were watching some kids' shows out in the lounge room and I got up and got to the shower. Now, the night before, I'd gone to the gym and I'd done a class and I'd hurt my knee and it was a little, it was quite painful and it was swollen. There was fluid that was visible, visible there. And 
But it, was, it wasn't the first time that this thing had happened in my knee and so I'd, I've had knee problems for a little while. But I got into the shower and things started feeling quite different and I, I called you in and I soon realised that hey, this is very, very different to what, to what was normally, normally happening and I ended up um, collapsing in the shower and passed out for however long it was and um, it was the first time that it, that it ever happened to me and so it was something very, very new and very different. I know lots of people pass out frequently but this ended up being something very different. It wasn't your regular pass out and we kind of put it down to well maybe it was because of the knee maybe there was pain and it had just really affected me the first thing in the morning it's very often very painful when you get up on a on a sore limb and um and we had the the paramedics come because weren't sure whether or not I'd hit my head or or anything and ended up waking up with a shake with a shake um especially down my right side and so paramedics came and took me off to the hospital which was that day and all tests came back fairly normal, which was wonderful to hear that I was still okay. And so we did put it down to just maybe a reaction or a response to the pain that I was experiencing in my knee and maybe something else that needed to be explored uh, from, from that perspective. So do you remember the moment that you were laying on the ground and called the ambulance? Um, one of our boys was in with you at that point in time. I do remember that. It was... Um, I think you'd gone out to greet the paramedics based on I mean, needing to needing to help them see them into the home and find where I was. And our young Baron, he, um, I think he might have been about 10, 10 at the time. He was in there looking after me, and I'd been covered over with a with a gown to keep me warm and and modest and and. That must have been a really scary time for him, especially. I know the other kids knew what was going on as well, but Baz stayed in there with me and just touched me on my leg and said, it's all right, Mum, it's okay, it's going to be okay, as he's crying through his own tears. I think of him now as such a such a brave young boy. He's got that tendency now to just make sure I'm okay as well, which is beautiful. So from there, the ambulance came, went off to the hospital, had some tests done, and they said, what? Uh, pretty normal. <laughs> Looks like you're okay, Mrs. Uh, Grant. <laughs> question that, maybe it's normal. I'm not sure. <laughs> I know, normal, who knows. Um, um, but that, that's, that became a bit of a common theme over the next few weeks, is that right? It did. We still had things happening. So the, the shake persisted as well. That didn't really go away. Went to the GP and came back uh, with all other tests being being normal as, as as the tests, well, well, let's test this and let's test that and make sure that this level is okay and this level and that level and whatever else they um, doctors tested for, but everything came back within normal limits, which in one way is really good because you know that there's not anything really sinister. You think, well, okay, well, this is something that we've just got, we've got to figure out maybe there's, something's gone wrong. We've just got to find find what that is. They thought maybe it was an essential, trem- essential tremor that can come generally not in younger people but can at times and so we put it down to that but then other things began that was it was it wasn't just the shake anymore what were some of those things uh it was yeah it was a shake it was my speech my speech began to be really um, compromised and I've always kind of considered myself someone that can talk without having to really try and make much of much of an effort 
Um, Underwater with a mouthful of golf balls. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and have conversation very easily and know the right types of words to say and and other other things. But then I started to slur over my speech. I started to uh, not remember the words that I was going to say or not know the types of things to even say. And so I kind of pulled myself into a bit of a shell a little bit because I couldn't speak properly and it was it was something that was very unusual for me. So the shake was there and then the, the, the slurring, my energy levels, my um, weakness in my joints, I guess, as well. Probably one of the most scary things I remember is the seizures. So when the seizures started, um, I'll, I'll give an example because you may not remember some of them, but I remember when you woke up in the middle of the night, threw the covers off and just went into a huge spasm in your whole body and um, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what to do. Do I hold you? Do I let you go? Do I, what do you do? So that was... That all these things started coming and be, became more scary. And it all seemed to have started from that time when I collapsed because there were no other yeah. evidences of anything else before then. And so you saw a, went and saw a bunch of doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, that led to a point where because of the symptoms that you were showing so readily now and more frequently, uh, at one time you went to see a neurologist. Can you tell us what happened when you saw that neurologist? Yeah, no, So because I had, I had these other... Symptoms that our GP thought, well, yeah, this seems very nerve-related and something may be wrong with the brain. Let's go and test all these things and go and see a neurologist. And so I had the test and went and with the results and back to the neurolo- to the neurologist and he performed a couple of tests himself and essentially said, now, you know, Davina, I can see that there's things that aren't right with you and that you're shaking and that your speech isn't correct. And not, I, I didn't know you before, so I don't know how different this is to what your normal um, your normal functioning is, but I can't put you in, into any box. You don't have this symptom, which if you did, I would diagnose you with Parkinson's disease, or you don't have this symptom, which if you did, I would diagnose you with motor neuron disease or other things like that. And so, but I'm sorry, I can't really help you because you don't fit into any box. So, of course, we were happy that you couldn't be diagnosed with any of those diseases. Definitely. They are horrendous. Certainly don't want that. Absolutely. So, but your response to him was what? <laughs> he says, I hope, is that okay? Are you you're all right with that? I actually said to him, I'm like, no, I'm not okay with that because we've come here looking for answers because these things are progressing and, and we need someone to help us and we can't find anyone that can help us with this. And I've got a young family that I need to be able to take care of and can't do that effectively with what's happening now. And it was dismissed. And, and I don't, I, we don't begrudge anyone that has dismissed what was happening to me because they know what they know and that's all. That's what they're taught. They're taught to know those things and they can treat within those parameters, which is fantastic because they do some wonderful job, wonderful work with so many people. I just didn't happen to fit in with the parameters that many people had been taught to deal in. Yeah. And so, no, it wasn't, it wasn't okay that he couldn't help, but in the same breath it was okay because we understood that it, that had become a fairly regular thing that – no one else could really help. Anyway. Yeah. So at this point, um, no one really knew. Mm-hmm. So um, you would try and hide your shake. The shake was becoming more persistent, I remember. Um, so as you were trying to hide your shake, that was becoming increasingly challenging. And because of the because of the nature of your speech, um, you kind of went MIA. I remember doing more of the school runs and people would ask where you were and I said you weren't feeling too well that day. And But that... That obviously happened sort of more and more. And I think it was more more so after 
one episode at the gym because I was still going back to the gym, just kind of brushed it all aside. I can still do this. And then because (laughs) I was kind of hiding a little bit, I figured I I could go and do my regular things and then go home and hide and kind of put on a good show while I needed to be out. But I had a had a nasty episode, I guess, at the gym where I didn't remember much of what happened and paramedics were called again and they were the ones that said, we, we can see that all your tests are coming back normal and even your blood pressure and your eyesight, everything is, but we can see that things aren't right. Don't give up on this. Something is not right here. Don't give up. And so... We decided not to give up, but maybe have to take things into our own hands. But yes, I did. After that, I didn't go back to the gym for a long time because I, I figured it wasn't, first of all, safe and I didn't want everyone making a big fuss over me for things that we didn't even really know what was what was going on. It was an interesting moment. I remember that. So I was running a class at the gym and and Davina was on the treadmill and then just jumped off the treadmill, wasn't feeling too well and walked outside. And then I got one of the girls from the front desk came and yelled and said, Baron, Davina's not very good. I came in the room and Davina doesn't remember this, but she was just having a, a really bad seizure and sitting on, she was sitting there and everything, her whole face, her arms, everything was shaking and seizing up and having spasms everywhere. And she, like, she couldn't look at me straight and, and just had this fear in her eyes. I remember it vividly. And so that moment was pretty significant. And because everybody saw it, now everybody was aware that Davina wasn't well and no one really knew what it was. So uh, with that, everyone's on a bit more watch and alert, I guess, in, in seeing what's going on. And Davina did then sort of disappear from working at the gym and just focused on taking care of herself um, as best she could at home. Uh, but that led to some... I guess some other things happening a little later on as we went to research then. We really tried to research of what was going on. Um, We were under pressure, I remember, at the gym um, financially as a small business and we were doing it a bit tough. Uh, And so we thought maybe it was pressure that was causing these symptoms, but um, the paramedics were pretty solid on the fact that, no, that's not the case. You've got to go and do some more research and study and find out what's going on. So we continued this process. Um, And then one day we had a... Uh, someone at work mentioned they'd seen a TV show, um, which was the Sunday night program, and they had something about a, a, this mystery disease. And so I watched it, and they told me about it, and I watched it, and then I said, Dee, you've got to watch this, because um, this is there's symptoms here that are very similar to yours. Do you remember when you watched that, and what were your thoughts? Yeah, we um, you'd watched it during the day and came home that night, and we watched it together again, and it was a bit of an awakening to me that wow, this is, someone else has something that's really similar to what, what I was experiencing and and what were they doing? I was thinking, okay, well, how do we figure this out? This could be this could be what it is and how do we figure it all out? And so you did some more research and looked up. It, it ended up being, um, being a, a documentary or, or, or an episode based on Lyme disease, which isn't very commonly known or, or um, treated in Australia at all. And so... We ended up doing a little bit of research. You'd found some um, people that knew about Lyme disease, the Lyme Disease Association of Australia. You looked up and were able to find a doctor on the real quiet, on the real hush-hush. <laughs> it's really <laughs> weird, wasn't it? And and we don't we don't think um, that we are doctors by any stretch, mm-hmm. Davina and I, but when you're placed in a situation where you're not getting the help um, and your wife's getting more and more sick, you become oh, desperate might be the right, right word. And I was looking at every possibility and 
these guys just gave me some contacts of actual doctors because um, Dr. Google wasn't cutting it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But these guys, they referred to them as Lyme literate doctors. And I thought it was fascinating because the, the, the lady who I was having correspondence with on email, she said, please don't, um, please don't talk about these doctors anywhere else. Um, they can get in trouble for treating you. And, but they they understand the disease. And so, you know, go and see them. Now, we didn't know if this was what Davina had, um, but we thought, well, here's a course and we'll go down this bit of a choose your own adventure. This whole thing became, so we headed down, we chose our own adventure and went to see this doctor. Now, I wasn't with you when you had that experience. Tell us a little bit about your experience with the doctor that day. I, I ended up being able to see him. He was very busy, had to wait for a while, ended up going in and seeing him and he um, had an hour-long consultation with me. I think it ended up going a little over an hour. Um, but he he spoke to me. I, I, he asked me what was what I was experiencing and so I told him my symptoms. I told him how long it had been going for. I told him how they had progressed and the time frames and, and other things. He asked me where I had lived in different at different times and... Um, Essentially, the almost the, the look on his face changed and he says, all right, so this is what we need to do. We need to do this, 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 this. You'll need to take this, this, this medication and it's going to be this long. And I was almost a little bit gobsmacked. I, I, it was almost like there was a whole bunch of information I couldn't process enough. And so I said, hang on, hang on a second, hang on a second. So just slow it down for me. In, in your opinion, what, what is your opinion of what's happening with me? And he says essentially in his opinion, I absolutely had Lyme disease and because of how it had progressed and how quickly and the symptoms I was experiencing and what was going on in my body that we really quickly needed to start treatment. Otherwise it wasn't going to end well. And I didn't know how to respond to that. I was, I remember feeling just confused. What the heck is this now? Yeah, 20 minutes ago, I had no idea what this was. We came here maybe looking to find answers. Now all of a sudden I've got someone that believes they know what was happening, but in Australia you can't test for it very easily as well. And so without, um, without being able to have a blood test to confirm it here, which isn't, isn't available in Australia very readily, we needed to send our, my blood test, my blood over to the United States to be tested for, for this. And but we couldn't wait for the results to come back in his opinion. So we needed to start treatment straight away. Now, for a member, I remember you grabbed, you had to do the blood test and take the blood test to the airport effectively. Yeah, I had to get it to a courier place to, yeah. <laughs> so there was no, no real assistance at that point. Mm-hmm. And so when we say choose your own adventure, it was choose your own adventure and then make your own adventure. Do it all <laughs> Do yourself. It all. <laughs> so it was a very much a DIY approach. It was. That's probably the way to describe it. It's a pretty good, that, can, that <laughs> sums us up pretty well. <laughs> but I think uh, it was about 1500 bucks to send the, the bloods to the United States, yeah, which would take six 12, weeks. 12 or 1300 for that. Yeah. And then, yeah, it would take about six, six weeks, weeks to, get back. to come back. And he said at this point, Davina was starting to labour with her swallowing as well. Swallowing had started to become an issue as well. And so he believed that she had Lyme disease. Who were I, who were we to say yes or no to that? He was the only one that was giving us any assistance at that point. And so uh, we're like, all right, well, we'll do what you say. Uh, and so I remember well, Davina came home and told me that it was Lyme disease. And my initial response was, oh, awesome, it's not Parkinson's, it's not 
This, I didn't know what Lyme disease was. That's right. So I went, well, this is good. We'll just treat it. It gave us something to – it gave us an answer and then a process forward to be able to make something better, make it better than it just continuing to get worse. Now, some of the medications he he said, what – do you remember any of the names? Oh, I don't remember the names. I remember one was a gold, a gold liquid. We called it liquid gold because it had a golden colour and I needed to take five mils of it. Tovaquine or – And it was – it was ridiculously expensive because none of the medications for treatment of Lyme disease were covered under the, the PBS, the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, and so it was going to cost, which was which was a real consideration for us as well. So he'd said that we had this, that I had this disease, and I needed to start this medication quickly, otherwise it wasn't going to end well. But by the same token, none of it's going to be covered under the PBS. Australia doesn't treat this very well and not too kind on treatment of Lyme disease uh, based on their current protocols. Well, they're not allowed to treat it. As GPs, yeah. mm-hmm, but the governing body of the medical association. And so, but it was going to be very expensive and it was going to be $1,500 every three weeks. And we were in a situation, money money was a bit tight with us running our own business and and it wasn't it wasn't an easy decision, but then by the same token, we're like, well, we don't have any other options. This is yeah. this is our only option forward at the moment. And, and when you're in that feeling of desperation, we just said, well, let's just do it. Now we'll we figure it make, out on the other way. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Just start, and we'll figure it out. But I do remember that liquid gold was a thousand dollars a bottle. Mm-hmm. That was the one. That was the killer. Um, and so the medication we it was done at home, um, most of it. Uh, we even had to cannulate ourselves. And, well, not, not me, <laughs> but hang it we up. We had on a the, friend who, had who a friend. knew what they were doing. Yeah, and so we'd hang it up on the the, the, on the curtain, curtain rail. rail. That's what I was trying to say. They're hanging up on the curtain rail, and uh, and I think Davina felt like a bit of a guinea pig um, at the same time as a bit of a pincushion. I was injecting her with penicillin twice a week as well, which is, you know, that's pretty scary. I remember one time I injecting her into her butt with penicillin and, um, she started to bleed and I'm like, oh no, what have I done? I've broken her. <laughs> I remember calling a friend who was a doctor and she's like, you'll be fine. She's all, right. <laughs> she's all right. But it was a really interesting time and it was very much that you know, DIY um, type of approach. But uh, when you started taking the medication, the doctor indicated that you would have a, a reaction um, and he referred to it as a Herxheimer reaction, which is when the bacteria is attacked by... Um, medication, certain medications, and it will spill its guts, he said. And I want you to tell me how that made you feel. When I started taking the medication, I became very, very unwell. I, um, it was almost, it was hard, it was hard to know whether or not it was associated with the medication because things were progressing differently and pretty rapidly beforehand. And, and when we spoke to him, I, I was almost, paralyzed to a, to a, to a point where I just didn't have any capacity to move and my speech was I couldn't speak I was shaking and I was essentially just I would be sat in the chair and that was it for as long as I needed to we ended up figuring out that once I'd taken the medication I just needed to go lay down and and sleep it sleep it off essentially but it it was not it was not a nice feeling it wasn't a nice sensation it wasn't a nice experience at that point, it really started to ramp up, didn't it? It, it was, really did. That's where you got really sick. and um, we, But that was a good thing, according to him. Yeah, he said that confirms my diagnosis. <laughs> it certainly That's did. what he said, which was interesting. Anyway, so we continued on this journey. And at this point now, um, Davina had to have someone come and take care of her at home. So we had we had a beautiful friend of ours, Siobhan, who would come and sit with Davina many days. Mm-hmm. 
and just be there. Uh, my mum was awesome. Which she would come and, and clean and the house. And I couldn't even name everybody. There were so many people now that started to come and help after they realised that Davina was so sick. And she just started to get more and more sick. And we thought, what do we do here? And we started speaking to some other people who had, been, had a similar disease and they had had no uh, good experience with the antibiotic treatment after taking it for a couple of years. And we went, well, what do we do here? This is progressing so quickly. It came to a point where she, she couldn't really swallow food um, anymore. We would sit at the table sometimes and she would just stare at us as she's had a mouthful of water and it would just sit there in her throat and there was no choking me- mechanism, there was nothing. It would just sit there and like this momentary paralysis and it was just, we didn't know, we didn't know what to do, we didn't know what was next. And uh, we, But we'd heard about some treatment in Germany. Um, do you want to tell us about what that treatment was, Diana? It was a... And more of a natural type of therapy where um, over in Germany they call it, they, they're just doing God's work, <laughs> really. That when you, when, you get, when you have bacterial infections, you get a fever and that's the body's way of essentially killing off a bacteria that's going to be harmful. And, um, but sometimes the body doesn't always do it and do its job the way that it needs to and the bacteria, like the one that I had, just continued to, to grow and to multiply inside until it was just too far far gone to be able to do it on its own and so in, in Germany the treatment that they do that they've had a lot of success with is a hypothermia treatment which is essentially giving your body a really big fever to the point where the bacteria are killed off and how do they do that they cook you they cook you <laughs> exactly in a little oven in a little <laughs> oven they have a bed and they zip, zip up you up sides. on the side and they bring the heaters down and they cook you and they get your core temperature and with a big thermometer up your bum, that's mm-hmm. how they check it. <laughs> like a chook, you get cooked. And they get you up to 41 and a half degrees effectively. And so it's, they've got an ICU nurse next to you and for seven hours they cook you. And so that's the the theory is that they, the bacteria disintegrates. Now this was all well and good, but the treatment was how much? $35,000. All right. So we've already in a situation where we didn't have any of that money. <laughs> and so, um, so we... We were like, oh, we probably can't do it until one of my brothers said, hey, you should go to Germany. And I said, oh, we can't afford it. And he goes, oh, we'll, we'll just fundraise. And I said, oh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And he said, I don't care what you think. <laughs> We've always been very much independent. We've got our own battles yep. to face. These are ours and we can manage it. And so it wasn't something that we accepted very readily, but it, it almost became out of our control. Totally out of our control. We had nothing else to do with it. <laughs> we had nothing to do with it. And they, they set up a committee. I remember... When I told you that they'd set a committee, a committee to, to do a fundraising for you, what were your thoughts? Oh, I'm just like, no. There's so many other people that that need more help than this. Well, like this, no, we're fine. You don't need to be doing that. It's we'll manage. It will be okay. But it was just with remarkable gratitude as well that they would that there were people out there that thought enough of me to want to do something to help whenever of our family. What What were some of the things that they did? Oh gosh, they um. First of all, the big the big thing they set up um a fundraising night that they were going to be organising for. It ended up being mid January at that stage, um, and this was all before Christmas that it started. And this is a time where people's finances are really tight themselves, and so we're like, no, it's okay, it's all right. We don't want to be putting pressure on other people. That was probably my my type of thought, but they set up a big fundraising night that we can talk a little bit more about. They set up a GoFundMe page. My sister set that one up and um, that alone 
raised $20,000 just from social media for people that were kind and generous. Many that I wouldn't have even known, I'm sure. And there was a group of girls that went um, caroling and raised money caroling in the local shopping centre as well. And people would just come that were friends and acquaintances, knock on our door and give us money. Just remarkably beautiful people that saw a need and wanted to do their part to help it. Awesome. We call them our angels mm-hmm. that, that would turn up and do amazing things. There was another group as well in, in, in that I have to mention uh, that helped through the fundraising process, and that was a little Telstra shop. They mm. actually had five little Telstra shops, I think they do, and the guy's name was Mo, and he asked to meet with me when um, one of our, employ- our ex-employees who worked for them at that stage, Gabby, contacted him and said, could you donate something for this fundraising event? And he said, oh, I think we can do better than that. And so I met with him and we shared some stories and he said, he said, Baron, I'm going to put it out to my staff. We've got some really generous staff in our, in our business. And they so put it out to the staff and, and they started donating. And in about eight or nine days, um, they donated $9,000. These people that we'd never met. And, and then he said, Baron, whatever they, whatever they donate, we'll match it dollar for dollar. And so a few weeks later they gave us a cheque for $18,000 and that got us on the plane. That got us to be able to go. It gave us the confidence, just the generosity of complete strangers. It gave us the confidence to book what we needed to and that we would be able to manage with, if nothing else, nothing else came. That's was, right, that we were going to be able to make it by even just that. But the fundraising committee raised over $50,000 in six weeks and it was simply, simply incredible. Now, on that night, Davina went to the fundraising night. We had a big night of auctions and um, my band played. That was about the limit of me being in the fundraising committee. <laughs> um, but we had a really fun night. But Davina came along and she wanted to speak to everybody, um, even though she was still very, very sick. Uh, and I want to play just a little bit of her speech. Actually, it's a whole speech. It goes for about one minute and 30 seconds. And she could have, in her normal speaking now, she could have said it in about 12 seconds. So I'm just going to play that now so you can get an idea of what it was like uh, when she um, was quite sick. Uh, so, very well. So, I'm like me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
So that night was completely unbelievable and so much money was raised on that night from people once again that we don't even know and from some of our closest friends and family. I want to know how you felt on that night. I was completely overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like the star of the show. I didn't want to so I sat down for most of it and people would just come up and want to hug me and it was beautiful and I wanted to be there. I wanted to I wanted to love them. I wanted to let them know that I loved them and that our family was so grateful and but it was so exhausting as well at the same time. It I felt like I couldn't couldn't do all that I wanted to. I couldn't say. I well I couldn't even say what I wanted to to people. But I felt so 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 grateful. I don't grateful can't even it doesn't even cut it. Grateful doesn't even cut it. Just for them, after Christmas, giving up their time, giving up their money. Yeah, one of the toughest times of the year financially for people, they were just pouring it all out for us. I uh, I remember your mum came that day. So um, Venus parents live in Adelaide and they came over for the fundraiser and it was only at that moment that her mum realised how sick she was and we were... I would have many thoughts of a very, very real possibility that um, Davina wouldn't even make it to Germany because when you can't swallow and you're choking on food and your body doesn't work anymore and you're pushing pushing her around in a wheelchair um, around the shops and things like that, I, I thought this is, is she might not make it. And um, I remember your mum's reaction when she walked into the door and she saw you um, for the first time, but you had some more discussions with her later on. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, the next the next morning after the fundraiser, um, I was completely deplete of any <laughs> of any energy, and so I'd I'd stayed in bed. I had gone back to bed actually, and Mum came and was sitting on my bedside and was just stroking my head. It's a beautiful image to have a mother stroking a daughter's head, and you kind of see that more so with younger children, but. Those feelings, I guess, are still very, very real, even with grown-up children. My mum's very, very brave. And I've really tried to do those kind of, to exemplify those types of traits and attributes. And I'll be brave and big and strong and get on and keep doing. But at this time, I couldn't. And I remember mum asking me, and it was probably the first time that I'd really considered this as well. Mum asked me what it felt like to be dying. And I, not that I hadn't considered it, but it was never something that I was, I would focus on because that's just not part of my makeup. But like I said, I'm, I like to be big and brave and get on and if something's broken, let's fix it. And this time something was broken, so we were just getting about and fixing it. 
And I didn't want to consider what those ramifications could be if it didn't end well, if I did end up dying. But I remember thinking about it as she asked, just being very grateful that I wasn't in pain. Although I had the energy of a of someone who was or who was in pain, I guess. I just didn't have the the physical capacity that I that I certainly was used to or wanted, but I remember feeling in pain, but I do remember a sen- the sensation in my body of things. It was, a, it was like a physical sensation that knowing that things weren't working in my body and things were breaking down, but not being in pain, I was very grateful for. At that point in time, you weren't able to pick up live or, um, I guess, do your normal stuff. Now, little Olivia was only uh, maybe eight or ten months old at that point in time. How did you cope with that? How did you do with, deal with that as a mum? Every mum wants to be able to do her job and care for her children. And knowing that I couldn't and that I had to pass that over almost to someone else was not easy. I mean, you would you would uh, be gone for most of the morning and after about lunchtime, one o'clock, you'd be able to come back from the gym and would then do everything else that you could. And so that was comforting as well, but I still couldn't put Liv down for her morning nap. I couldn't take her down the stairs. She was such a well-adjusted young baby, so it was okay that other people were doing that for her, but for me it wasn't. That was my job. That was my responsibility, and that's what I wanted to do. I think Liv knew that something wasn't right either, even being young, and would just sit so quietly and tenderly with me as well yeah i know you often refer to her as her as a little gift from god i think to help you through that that time ah she sure was yeah absolutely so we got but i, but I think it was for our whole family as well she was a beautiful gift that even in the most horrible of times she was just such a joy and she had so many firsts. She was taking her first steps and doing such cute little things and saying her first words. And it was a joy having her in the middle of really tough times. Yeah. So I felt that point was as almost as bad as it got. Uh, at that at that point, because we had so much support and assistance, we started the next part of our Choose Your Own Adventure and we, we took off to Germany. And this was mixed with excitement and trepidation because we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't speak the language. It was all a bit, it was all a bit scary. Uh, but we shot off to Germany and, and, had, the, and had the treatment. Um, now, how hard was it for you leaving the kids? Oh, devastating. But once again, I put on this brave face and have these horrible emotions and feelings inside. <laughs> you don't want to make anything more difficult for the kids. It was already a really, really horrible time for them. It was really difficult seeing this happening to their mum and and then to have mum and dad have to go away as well, that would have been really difficult. Katie had just started high school and we've got the baby and we've got everything happening in between as well. But my mum and dad came over and they stayed with the kids for the time that we were away. And because we didn't really know what was going what the answer was, what the end was going to be, what Germany was going to be like, I I wanted to try and make it a bit of an exciting time for the kids, us being away rather than being a scary, horrible, unknown time. And so we 
packaged up something that they could open every day to help them remember or help them know that we loved them and that we were thinking of them and little chocolate kisses. They could have a kiss at least from us every day. That was, that was super brave through that process. But let's get on to the more exciting stuff. And that was we got to Germany and had the treatment. Um, the treatment is pretty invasive and it's pretty hard. Like it's just not a nice experience. Uh, but there was a variety of different things that had to happen um, while we were over there. And after the first main hypothermia treatment, I remember you didn't shake or didn't slur for three days. And sure, you were very tired because you'd been beat up by that treatment. But mm. we, I got a little bit excited and then the shaking and the slurring came back. But I realised that something had obviously changed in your body. Is that how you felt? Yeah, absolutely. And I, like, I didn't want to get excited because I didn't want to be let down. I didn't want to have the experiences of going to a doctor. Oh, yeah, this doctor's going to help. And no. So I didn't want that. But we, we felt so confident in in what the treatment could possibly do based on what we'd learnt about it. And so although the symptoms started to subside, I really didn't want to get excited by it. I didn't want to set myself up for disappointment, but it was exciting because things changed. Things absolutely changed. And they did go back though, and Davina became quite sick again, but um, they let us know that it would improve over time. What they did say as well, though, there's some structural things that were broken that new pathways would need to be created or might not recover fully. And that's certainly been the case. But over the next six to 12 months, um, Davina made very slow yet very impressive improvement from where she was, um, from being in a place where we thought that she might not be with us anymore. Um, I mean, to be where you are now is a whole different world, but um, there was slow and steady improvement over the next sort of six or 12 months. I started to be able to speak properly. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes. Bit, got a bit more of my nerve back, <laughs> but I did have to learn a different way of doing things. I couldn't be very excited and I couldn't be very sad. I couldn't be very happy. I couldn't be very angry. I couldn't be anything. I had to remain very calm. Very calm. Which is so unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. But that that continued and, and there's been ups and downs, but, but I absolutely credit um, Davina being with us to the treatment that she had in Germany. Um, absolutely, I believe that saved her life. It was the start life. of everything. It was the start of – and we continue to do things. We continue to look for treatment and um, different treatment options. And um, what's impressive for me about the way Davina has dealt with this approach is that she always looked for a way, no matter whether it was hard or uncomfortable, always looked for a way um, to go and chase after what she was trying to achieve, and that is to get better. Um, we had a whole team helping that. Uh, but she never la- she never lost hope and never quit on it. Um, and so the, the improvement has continued. However, only a few months ago she started to feel a little bit average again and lots of lots more shaking, lots more slurring. And so after doing lots of research online, um, she came across some some things that were probably a little more extreme. Um, but this is a choose your own adventure, so what the heck? We just find something else to do, don't we, Dee? Is that right? <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> and so Davina decided to do something that I think is one of the most mentally tough things that I've ever seen. And there was some research that uh, we found around water fasting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Davina, and what you did? So most bodies, healthy bodies, will do its own cell rejuvenation. And so if there's something that's not right in the body, then it'll naturally try and get rid of it. Um, When it becomes a little bit too hard, the body doesn't do it anymore. 
and um, water fasting can help encourage that process along in a in a bit of a way that's not very common commonly done. So um, water fasting is a period of time where you go without water and just no, go without food, food and just have water. So <laughs> you go without food, any type of intake of energy, and you just consume water for however long you determine to do it. Many people do one or two days, up to five days, and, and feel some good health benefits from that. But um, there are some other, other places and retreats and other facilities that do uh, water fasting from 10 to to 40 days or whatever else. I chose to do a water fast earlier on in the year for 21 days because of the the um, evidence that had been shown that we'd found that was 21 days was a really good good time frame to to help the body get rid of some nasty things that don't belong there. Now, Davina didn't want me to talk about this, but I just think it's so tough and amazing that I did want to talk about it. So I just want to restate that you went – Without food for 21 days, no food at all. That's correct. And were you sleeping all the time? What did you do? No, I was being a mum. I was being a mum. I was being a friend. I was being a wife. I was doing all the things Changed that I needed to do. Changed nothing. Changed nothing. Didn't quite do as much exercise. No, I didn't. Well, that was one thing. I didn't, I didn't exercise. That's right. But so I know that when I don't eat breakfast and I've got to about 9 or 10 o'clock, I am ready to kill someone for some food. <laughs> And so as I watched Davina do this water fast, I have been blown away, first of all, with her mental determination to do it because she's making breakfast, lunch and dinner for everybody. But I have a greater belief that people can do so much more and our bodies are capable of so much more. Now, we are not in any way encouraging anybody to do a water fast. I think it's completely crazy, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but the benefit's been unbelievable, hasn't it, Dee? It really has. I've... I've noticed that well the whole the whole point of it is that when your body is depleted of energy that it'll it'll go find what it needs to be able to survive and often it'll be those those proteins and those other things that the body needs to be able to survive are found in the cells of bacteria that don't really belong there but the body can use for its own existence essentially and so that's what it does and that in excess of of 10 days and up to however long you choose to that's when the body is is finding all of those things but we absolutely the results have been remarkable for me i have a very increased energy i don't slur very often as at all i am very very limited in what my shaking experiences and although i've still got some nerve issues and and sensation issues that that still remain i am a big believer in what i've done significantly improved yeah and so that's been really cool to watch. Uh, but something that was interesting in preparation for this podcast was that Davina was like, I've got nothing exciting to talk about. Like, I don't, I think her story is amazing. I think she's incredible. But she said, I don't think there's um, too much exciting that I can talk about that I've actually inspired of challenges. But I want to bring up a few things of how she has done that. Because throughout this whole process, Davina has always still tried to help people around her. And that is probably Davina's biggest key is that she will help people sort of one-on-one, lift um, lift other people and make them feel better for the moments that she's been with them, no matter what's going on in her life. And that's what's really stands out to me, um, and not just me, because there was a few other people I spoke to in preparation for this podcast. And if we go back to her water fasting, which was only a matter of weeks or a month or so, month or so ago, uh, 
towards the end of that water fast, she was not only making food for our family, but she was making food for other people, other people's families who were going through a bit more of a challenging time as well and needed some help or some support um, right at the end. So she's making meals all over the place (laughs) and not eating any of it. Um, And there was one in particular, a friend of hers, um, Sally, who I spoke to, who's Davina has done a couple of things to help out over the time. And I think this sort of sums up Davina just a little bit. Um, Now, she's actually um, recorded a little... um, thing that she wants to share with Davina, so I'm going to play that just now. When I think of the challenges Davina has overcome in her life, mine just seemed to pale in comparison. In spite of this, Davina has noticed when I've needed extra support and followed through with offers to help. No challenge of mine is too small or trivial for her to empathise with. She's non-judgmental. I find it hard to ask for help, But Davina actually makes it really easy because she offers before I even have to. She's brought meals, done laundry, sat next to me with her arm around me, cried with me, talked with me and asked me how I was doing, genuinely caring about my response. Davina has helped me feel valued, remembered and worthy of love and friendship. She's ready to help and be there on the good and bad days. When I think of Davina, I feel gratitude. She's my ministering angel. I love that thought from Sally because in preparation for this, I didn't want it to be all about what I think. I thought it was important to get outside of our own home here and talk to a couple of other people. And what are your thoughts on what Sally said? I just think Sally's awesome. <laughs> She's one of the most beautiful people that I know and I I love being with her, love letting her know that I love her and feeling that in return. Something that really stood out to me though, Davina, is that y- you you were going through a really tough time because you had no energy, feeling sick, struggling, and somebody else needed some help and your approach was, I'm going to go and help that person. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. And Everybody is going through stuff. What drives you to do that, to, uh, I guess, disregard what's happening in your life to go and help someone else? Oh, without even knowing what drives me, I I know how much better I feel when I get out of my own way. When I stop being a barrier to my own happiness, sometimes we, I, I guess we all get into a bit of a, sometimes we can get into a bit of a rut where things are tough and we tend to wallow in that a little bit, but I don't like to do that. I don't want to. I don't like how I feel when that, when that happens, when I get into that little cycle. And for me, being outside myself and getting out of my way and giving myself opportunities to feel happy and to feel the joy that comes from loving other people, that is probably the biggest drive. And I want people to know that they're loved. I know what it feels like to be loved and I want everyone to feel that. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, Dusty, who we both know very well. And he said, we were talking about you for whatever reason. And he said, she's always so damn positive. It (laughs) kind of makes me sick. And then he goes, no, it doesn't really make me sick. I think she's awesome. But... (laughs) How do you remain so positive in, in spite of what, you've, what you're feeling in your body because your body doesn't work as it should? So how do you keep 
feeling positive no oh, it's a choice in in every every moment it's almost a choice and I don't always I don't always do it and I do want to put on the best face I really do I want other people around me to be happier and to be um, more uh, f- feel something better for being having been around me I do want I want that for them but I guess it's a choice that I have to make I can choose to be miserable and I can choose to frown I can choose to drop my shoulders I can choose to walk around like that but that doesn't make me feel any good I don't like how that feels and so I choose something different I I guess it's but it's it oh I guess it's it started off as being a choice and has become more a way of living now the more that we do things, the easier it becomes to do it. It's the same in the negative. The more that we act in a negative kind of way, the easier it is to be that. And I just don't like how that feels. So tell me your normal response when somebody asks you, how are you today? <laughs> it's usually, I'm wonderful. I feel fantastic. <laughs> or life is good today. <laughs> things like, I don't know if it comes across as not very genuine but it really is <laughs> if i if i say it i feel it and i believe it and it becomes so sometimes we get around and we sort of go when someone asks you how you are do we have a tendency i think <laughs> sometimes to go oh i'm okay oh not too bad and what happens to our physiology when that happens oh you just drop everything <laughs> drops everything becomes low and sad and we all gloomy do we do how are you today oh I'm all right so no, I'm, I'm wonderful. <laughs> so your approach is just to go, I'll say it and then I'll believe it at the same time. Now, it, my, my little mantra growing up and I guess in my early, late teens and early adulthood used to be fake it till you make it because sometimes we do go through hard challenges and sometimes we do need to fake it and we need to pretend that everything's okay before it becomes okay. So it used to be that and I heard it only a couple of weeks ago where someone said, oh, that's my, my little saying, that's what I live by now. And I reflected on that a little bit, how it used to be mine and it's so not anymore. It's not a fake it until you make it because the fake means that it's not really something real and it's not believable or it's not something that is even attainable. But for me, it's it's almost become, no, just be. <laughs> that is what it is. And and I guess my my new little saying recently has been has been just because it's hard doesn't mean you quit. Well, just because it hurts doesn't mean you stop and doesn't mean you give up. And sometimes those things are hard, sometimes being positive and sometimes smiling and sometimes having a good response or a happy or positive response to things is not easy. But just because it's not easy, it doesn't mean you stop doing it. It doesn't mean you stop and you give up because easy isn't the way that we're going to grow. And at, at being who we are in a really non-fake kind of way, makes the reality our perception of reality a whole lot different as well i love that easy is not the way that we're going to grow and you think about it in all aspects of life we never get any better by doing anything that's easy we only get better at stuff when it's hard Mm. now with that in mind i mentioned that i'd spoken to some people before uh, this podcast because i want to stay objective and i want to ask some questions that uh that get them answers that some people who listen to this podcast frequently want to know um, about Davina, the mystery of Davina. Um, and talking, I was talking to Craig, another one of our friends, and he he gave some of his, his thoughts as well in regards to how he views Davina 
um, because you don't think you can do too much well outside of here. Um, and so he recorded a little thing that he's going he's gonna to say right now. Davina Grant is the finest actor I know. Not in any way self-serving, deceptive or hypocritical. She's just determined to act and be happy and of service to others in spite of setbacks that would bring even the mightiest of us to our knees. Simply put, Davina is willpower personified. I think that sums you up pretty well. What do you think? <laughs> I think he's far too kind. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that it's all about, um, it's not really a fake act, but you give your best self to other people. And I think from what you're saying just before, Davina, we could all do a little better at that, in that sometimes we don't give our best selves and then we, we, when we start talking about the things that are, are more negative, then we start seeing them. Because what you seek, you will You'll find. You'll find. And so what we, the way that we look at it, the way that we look at the glass being half full or the glass being half empty, we'll find all the reasons of why it is whatever way we choose it to be. Um, our mind is amazing, isn't it? It'll, it'll mm. do whatever you want it to do. Very obedient. Very <laughs> obedient. If we tell it it's terrible, life is terrible, then... We'll see everything. It'll certainly find ways that life is terrible. Because sometimes life is not easy. And, but it doesn't mean that it's not wonderful at the same time. And a big part of why I wanted to talk to Davina as well is I think she encapsulate, encapsulates, I guess, the feelings of a lot of people in life, particularly mums, who have such a thankless calling at times. Um, I think mums go through life doing everything for everybody else. And you're an example of that. Um, you, know, you don't even have a shower in the morning until after you've um, got kids out of bed, helped them to get ready, made breakfast or eaten. Well, you don't even eat breakfast. The kids have eaten breakfast. You made their lunches. Then you get a moment to yourself. And I think that's a great example of mums that do that um, so frequently. And and dads do it as well. But um, I think there's this thing that mums do that's very selfless. I mean, they give up their bodies to have babies. And so I think it encapsulates many people are like that, but don't feel they're achieving these amazing things because they're busy being a mum and, and living that life. Uh, but I, wanna, I want you to know that you're doing amazing things. That, that is incredible what you're doing and you just might be lifting people just around you um, like Davina is. And sometimes it's really intangible. And the one more person that I spoke to also shared her thoughts, Tracy, and I love the way she describes um, Davina because it's about – Davina is all about lifting people. And, and here's another example. Hi. My name's Tracy and I met Davina when we moved homes about nine years ago. We met after I started attending the same local church group and we share many of the same friends. She's younger with children at home, I'm older with grandchildren. However, we've had many occasions to get to know each other over the years and today I would hope she would consider me her friend. At 55, I'd say I'm old enough to have met quite a lot of people in my life and I've come to recognise that every now and then you meet a person who stands out. That's the way I'd describe Davina. She stands out. She's not ordinary. I could say this better by sharing a quote I like. It goes like this. I've seen and met angels wearing the disguise of ordinary people, living ordinary lives. 
There's a dimension to Davina that defies a simple description. To me, she radiates love and light. Kind of like Tinkerbell from that movie Peter Pan. She leaves trails of pixie dust wherever she goes. So to all you people who are living ordinary lives, but are leaving trails of pixie dust like Davina does, all around the place, I say keep doing it. Don't think that you've got to change the world by being a politician or being a movie star or being a celebrity, but you can drop little pixie dust bits everywhere and lift people around you. And lifting people one-on-one is, is far more impactful. What are your thoughts on what Tracy had to say? Oh, I like being Tinkerbell. <laughs> That's really beautiful and it's, it's beautiful to hear those kind of things, those sentiments from people I do call my friends. But you're right that we can do more. I know, not that we can do more, but I think we can do more than we think we can. There's so many, so many of us that feel, and sometimes I, I know that some of my feelings are, are a little bit silly sometimes where I don't feel like I'm doing much good to help people and many people feel the same way, but the bits that we do that lift other people around us and help our own families to to be wonderful is making a good, beautiful impact in the world. But we often get in our own way and we, we stop ourselves from doing more than we feel like we can because we feel like we can't do more, but we can always do more than we think we can. I love that. We can always do more than we think, think we can. And I, I want to share, I guess, what I've really got out of this podcast. And you may have got something different or you may have got the same thing. There's a couple of things that you said that really stood out to me. Uh, easy isn't the way that we're going to grow much. It was along those lines. I was writing it down. But uh, just because it's hard doesn't mean we quit. I love that. I promise that everyone has challenge in their lives. You might be listening to this this podcast right now and you might have a real tough thing going on. And And I'm sorry if that's the case. However, you can still do hard things and you can still push on and, and, and look outward to other people so you can help those people around you. I give a challenge that when a, when a request comes or you see somebody in need, I want us to try and not think of our situation of, of why we can't help, but instead make the decision that I will help in that situation or I'll help at every situation and what I'm going through for that moment is not as important as what somebody else is going through. I think with that attitude, we will have such a more fulfilled life because when we help people around us, that's when we really feel fulfilled. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Oh, no. I, when, when you were saying that when you were sorry, that if, if people were going through difficult challenges, we had this conversation just the other night that I wrote a message to a friend who'd written a beautiful message to me, which was lovely, and um, some of the things that she had been going through as well. And I wrote back to her and I said, I used to be sorry. I feel sorry for people and be sorry for them that they were going through tough times. But I'm not anymore after, after having been through some of the some tough things ourselves. I'm not anymore because I know the growth and the beauty that can come out of facing those challenges. And I'm glad that they have the opportunity for beauty and growth as well. Although I wish it could be different for them and for people that I love. It's almost a let's get this done together and let's get through the other side and see that beauty. There's beautiful things in everything, 
in the hard times and in the good times. And it's finding and having the courage sometimes to find and see those good things is where I think the growth comes. Wow. Awesome. I love that insight. I must say that in the last few years as we've gone through our own challenges, um, I wouldn't change it for the world. And as much as I love this woman sitting next to me, her getting sick was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life because it changed the way I view the world. And it's been the best thing for our lives as a family. We are closer as a family than we ever have been before. So when the challenge comes, whatever it is, we can find goodness in it and we can find lessons that we can learn from it and that is a better way to approach it than being angry and bitter. So let's all look at the way we look at our – let's look at the way we approach our challenges and see if we can look at them in a more positive light or find the good bit in it. Thanks so much for being involved and and listening uh, to my podcast today and Davina, thank you for being in attendance. (laughs) Thank you for dragging me here. <laughs> he didn't drag me here. I came willingly. <laughs> but as always, I encourage you to subscribe, jump on and hear more inspiring stories from the ordinary people around us who just live extraordinary lives. Thanks for your time, folks.